0: Hello, and welcome to my first episode of my podcast. My name is Amanda, and this is Thanks Mom, a podcast about trauma and navigating childhood abuse. Um, Mainly, I want to use this podcast to kind of continue my own healing process. Um, And maybe some of you can relate to what I'm saying and not feel so alone or maybe some of my stories might make somebody feel better. I don't know. Um, it's, it's just something i kind of always wanted to do and I feel like I'm actually at a point where I can do it. So let's get started. Like I said, my name is Amanda I am 31, and I'm a mother to twins. I have a boy and a girl, they're six, and they're the greatest. Um, Let's talk about mental health today, because it's something that everybody I feel like struggles with, and I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, Specifically, let's talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Sorry, I can't talk. (laughs) Um, I always used to think that PTSD was for people in active military. You know, I never related it to just traumatic events in life. Also, if you hear that noise, that's my cat scratching my couch, and I'm sorry, but I can't make her stop. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I got diagnosed with PTSD, gosh, it's been like four years now. Before that, I was misdiagnosed with um, borderline personality disorder and depression and anxiety. I do have depression and anxiety now. I have lived with those for as long as I can remember. Um, I do take medication for my depression. Um, I am not against medications, I will say it is a lot of trial and error. If you are somebody who is in the search for medications, have patience, don't give up because it's a very long road. Now, getting my PTSD diagnosis kind of was like an aha moment because it made a lot of sense because there were things in my relationships and day-to-day life that would trigger me to spiral or shut down or feel a certain type of way panicked uneasy whatever it was and it was so hard for me to put into words to other people what it what it was and what it felt like um I've seen a lot of therapists in my life and the one that I actively see and have been seeing since the diagnosis has been nothing but incredible. Um, My childhood was less than desirable. We'll word it like that, I suppose. I grew up where I'm at now. I have an older brother, and my father raised us. Um, my mother is an active drug addict. I don't speak to her currently. Um, I do speak to my dad and my brother. Um, a lot of the PTSD does come from, obviously, both parents, but majority of my mother, which is why I chose to call this Thanks, Mom. But I will also be speaking about traumatic experiences and childhood abuse in the home with my father as well. Um, We grew up very low income or poor. You can just say poor, I guess. (laughs) Um, My dad was the sole provider for our home. And when my mom was still in the home, she... Was supposed to be what you would call a homemaker, but it was never like that. Even when she was there, she wasn't really there, if that makes sense. I can't recall a moment in my childhood where I felt genuinely loved and cared for by her. Um, most of the memories I have with my mother as a child are all negative. And I didn't realize it until I would be talking to somebody and telling them something that I found to be a normal situation, that they would be like, oh, my God, that's so sad. I, You know, my childhood wasn't that bad. And then I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but that is pretty humbling in that moment. Um, it's pretty wild. I've done that a lot. I've told people stories. Um You know, like, I I had talked to a couple people about how growing up, every time my mom would go to jail, she would send Bibles. And, man, I had a lot of Bibles. (laughs) And I I don't know if it's just a jail thing or what, because, obviously, I know, like, most people go to jail and they find Jesus and he saved their life and then they're on the road to recovery or whatever that bullshit you want to spew to each their own nothing against religion itself i just don't appreciate when people use it as an excuse to be shitty people regardless that's a different subject (laughs) and we're not talking about that today um and i remember talking about it and explaining that i would read the bibles because i felt like it was the connection that i had to my mother and i didn't realize how insane that was until i said it out loud Um, and I looked at their face and they were like, oh dear. And it it was like this moment where they felt really sorry for me, but I, I didn't pick up on it because to me, that was what life was. Um, I mean, legitimately cops would drive up and down our road in front of our house and honk and wave at us. Like they knew who we were because of our mother. And that's not normal. (laughs) That shouldn't, that shouldn't be like that unless, you know, your parents a cop or something as well. Regardless, I just as an adult trying to undo the last 31 years of programming and trauma that has happened in my brain is so difficult and I wish somebody would have stepped in when I was a kid which is why I think I'm so big for child advocacy and it's something that I will stand on top of a soapbox and yell about until the day that I die um Our systems are so messed up not just mental health but child protective services department of family services it's all it it needs a complete overhaul and i know that'll absolutely probably never happen but god wouldn't it be great you know um i look at my own kids and i think i'm gonna fuck them up what do i do you know, what are you supposed to do as an adult who didn't have role models or parents who legitimately worried and cared for you and acted like they did that? You know, how am I supposed to navigate my anger in a moment with my child when all I ever had growing up was somebody screaming in my face about something, you know, and it has been such a big learning process for me and I'm thankful for it because I feel like I know what not to do. I I'm still learning every single day and I still make mistakes. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to apologize. You know, I, you know, I have moments where I lose my patience and I just snap, especially when there's both of them screaming mom, mom every 5 seconds or you know, something happens and I just lose my cool. And then I take a few moments and I I realize I messed up. And that's when I can tuck my tail between my legs and go in and I sit down with them and I say, I'm sorry. You know, and then I try to explain it in a softer way. Um, Talking about this abuse is going to be triggering Um, And I would like to also put a little disclaimer in this episode as well, is that I am not a licensed psychiatrist. I don't have a degree in mental health or psychology or anything like that. I am just one girl, one fucked up girl (laughs) who has a lot of trauma and childhood abuse, and I want to use what I know and my experiences to maybe help somebody out there navigate what they're feeling or not feel so alone because it is so lonely. It's so lonely as an adult who grew up in a home with child abuse because you are so closed off and so private and anxious and unsure of every person that it's hard. You know, you don't, you don't trust people very often. And then you have this other side of it where you become so codependent on anybody who wants to give you attention that you lose yourself completely. And I have done that so many times and it's exhausting. So today I just kind of want to go over some things with myself so you can get to know me a little bit better. And I hope that maybe you'll come back. If not, I still appreciate you. And if you've made it this far, thank you. I know I'm just some girl sitting in her living room, rambling into a microphone. But for me, this is, this is very therapeutic. So let's start off with my mother. I will be using real names for the most part. If I don't, I will put a little disclaimer if I change a name. I won't be using last names. Those of you who know who I am know who I am. And those of you who don't, don't. And that is fine. My mother's name is Sherry. She was born and raised here. She had six sisters. So I had six aunts. All of them just about struggle with addiction, either alcohol or drugs, but a lot of addiction. And my grandmother did as well. We called her Mima. Um, A lot of my cousins have struggled. I too struggled with addiction at one point when I was coping. Now, having a parent in addiction is hard because a lot of the time people don't really understand why they just can't get better. You know, I don't know how many rehabs my mother got sent to court ordered. I really can't count anymore. (laughs) There is too many. And you know what? They work for a while and then they go back. Because here's the thing. You cannot change a drug addict unless they want to change themselves. You know, a lot of people would say to me, like, you'd think that she'd want to stop and be better and change for you. Yeah, I thought that too. For a very long time. And it ate me up inside. I ripped myself apart, wondering why I was not enough for her to want to be my mother, for her to want to be actively present with us. It destroyed me. Destroyed my self-esteem. It paved this pathway for my future as a child that was so harmful and so negative negative that I wish I knew what I know now, you know, I, I just, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. It's just, you blame yourself as a kid, you know, you think, what did I do wrong for her to not want to be here, to not want to raise me, to not love me enough. And that fucking sucks. Like, sorry, I don't mean to curse all the time, but I also have like the mouth of a sailor. So I hope y'all are okay with that regardless again i use that word too much um it really does impact your life in a way that you never expected i spent so much of my teenage years just wanting somebody to love me or give me attention you know um And that's where you have this vicious cycle of abuse, because you will do anything for anybody's attention at that point, whether it's good or bad attention. As long as somebody notices you and sees you and, you know, you're important for that very nanosecond, that's all that matters. And you change yourself into a person that you think this other person would like, and you're not yourself anymore, And it took me a really long time to realize that I did that. I spent so many years of my, what I call my prime. (laughs) I mean, I'm 30 now and have two children and the spine of an (laughs) 80-year-old. What I would call my prime would be, you know, 18, 19, early 20s. Um, I spent a lot of that time changing myself into somebody else that I wanted other people to like, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought, well, if, if they don't like who I am now, I can change to be somebody that they do like, and then they will love me. And now (laughs) after going through the therapy and understanding codependency and PTSD, I realize how much of a coping mechanism that is for me because that allows me to let people in under false pretenses. That's not the real person I am. You know, I, I lost myself for a very long time and the last three years have been a fight to get myself back and I'm not there yet but I'm a lot further than I used to be, which is great. Um, having a parent in an addiction is something that I wish people didn't have to experience because it is so heartbreaking because there is nothing that you as a child can do to change it as badly as you want to. I don't know how many times I would, sit up and cry for my mom when she was gone you know no normal child should be excitedly waiting by the phone for your parent to call from jail (laughs) you know I just I don't know she had so many chances to be there for us and with us and I remember the, the final time she left and it is the one memory that I will never forget because it is what changed my entire look on myself for the rest of my life up until now. I was so excited that she was home. You know, she had been in jail for a while Um So she came home. God, I don't remember how long she was gone. It felt like an eternity. I think at that point it was like six months that she had been gone. Um, You know, we talked on the phone, which was nice, but it wasn't the same. So she came home and I remember being so happy. And she looked so good, you know, because obviously she wasn't using. I remember going to bed that night And thinking, like, I'm so pumped tomorrow is Saturday because I get to spend the whole day with my mom. I remember waking up, and my dad was already gone at work because, again, he was the breadwinner and he had to provide, he had to work. My brother was still in bed, and I got up and went to go look for our mom. I couldn't find her anywhere. You know, I checked the bedroom, checked the drawers. All her clothes were there. Checked the little space behind the bathroom door where all of her makeup and nail polish and stuff was. Everything was there. Hours go by and still nothing. And then eventually it's the evening and our dad comes home. And I remember I was just in my room crying all day. My brother didn't really care. At that point, I think he was pretty much done with everything, you know. But I never gave up hope that she would be a better mom and actually try for us. And I remember my dad came home and he knew. He knew she was gone. And that was it. I spent so much time wondering... If it was me. If she left because of me. Why was I not good enough for her to stay? What did I do wrong? Was I not a good enough daughter? You know? And it hurt. It hurt so fucking bad that she would choose these little white pills over her own flesh and blood. Random men... And being in and out of jail were worth more than I was. That was the first time I ever had my heart broken. Let me tell you, I don't know if you guys have ever had your heart broken by your own parents, but that hurts worse than a breakup. That is the worst kind of heartbreak you could ever feel, in my own opinion. Um, so she's gone she left now the thing about Sherry is that she really likes to be a victim because it makes her look good I don't know if that's for all addicts but it is for her you know she's always woe is me poor me my life is so bad um You know, I just... I get so lost in her stories sometimes, you know? And even now, even to this day, she still writes her own narrative of the way things happen. And you know what? Maybe that's how she thinks it happened for her. Because the drugs have just... Veiled everything for what it was. You know? Like... She was there, but she wasn't there mentally. Um, She used to drive by our house when we were getting older and yell at us or come by when my dad was gone to try to give us gifts. All empty promises. I remember at one point my dad even, like... Allowed her visitations. Like the man tried for whatever we talk about with my father. I will say this there were times where he did really try, and I do appreciate him for that. You know, he did try to do what he could to give us a somewhat normal life, I guess, for a while. Um, But she used to show up at school and whatever. And I remember sometime after my brother graduated and he was in the military. And I don't even remember how old I was. I had to have been like 13, maybe almost 14. And I had been at the mall with one of my friends because she lived right by the mall. And we happened to see my mom walk in the mall and she, you know, talked to me and hugged me and wanted to buy me school stuff. And, you know, I was still so very closed off, but I thought in that moment, you know what, let's make her buy me school stuff because at least the bitch can at least do that. Right. You know, like whatever. And then I didn't talk to her for a while after that. Um, And, you know, I thought about it in my head a lot. There were so many periods of time where I didn't know where she was, if she was okay. And there was a really big period of time where I legitimately thought she died. I mourned her. I mourned the death of my mother who was not dead. That's how far she was in addiction is, you know, it would be six, seven months, no drive-bys, no showing up anywhere, nothing. And I think, I wonder if she's in jail or maybe she moved or did she die? you know, was it an overdose? Did somebody kill her? Like, did she crash a car? She's not supposed to be driving. Like, you know, you don't know. And as a teenage girl who wanted nothing more than a mom to show me how to be a girl, you know, I I mourned that. I, I mourned her death, even though she wasn't dead. And as an adult, I feel like I don't know if I'm going to even feel anything when she dies, and I feel bad for it, but I also don't. You know, I feel like I'm just waiting for it to happen at this point, and then I guess we'll see. Like, yeah, I will I will be sad when Sherry dies. A part of me will be. But I think the rest of me will be relieved. That the pain can finally stop. She can't break my heart any more than she already has. You know, and I don't know. I just, I allow myself to get hurt. I trust people and give them so many chances. And I, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing to do that if you are one of those people, I understand. I am such a forgiving person. I mean, you could punch me in the face on purpose and then be like, I am so sorry. And I'd be like, you know what? It's okay. Like, (laughs) and I hate that I am that way, but I am also just like, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to believe that somebody can become a better person and change because they want to change. But not everybody wants to change. And I started giving my mom an opportunity to actually be a mom. um, When I hit about 16, I ended up going to live with my mother at 16. Now, I had stayed with her off and on before that, um, but never really stuck around for very long because I, you know, I didn't want to get comfortable You know, I didn't want to feel safe and then have that ripped away from me. Um, I gave her so many opportunities and every time it blew up in my face. I remember one time I was living with her and I swear, I thought, I thought she was okay. I thought that she was at a point where She had me and she was happy because she always talked about how badly she missed me and Chris, my brother. And I just thought I would be enough for her to want to be around and to be a parent and have that opportunity that she didn't get to have and to make up for everything that happened. You know, I caught her kissing a a drug addict neighbor while the guy she's dating, we always used to call him her stepdad. Well, not my brother. I did because he. Had, they've been together for so long. They still are. Um, I just, I'll refer to him as stepdad because it's less confusing during this podcast. Um, my stepdad was at work and my cousin Chance and I were at my mom's because he had also been staying there for a while. And yeah, I caught her... Full on with the fucking tweaker neighbor next door, and I lost it. Absolutely lost it, and I left. Um, I went back to my dad. That that didn't work out. I ended up leaving my dad's that night and going to stay with my aunt, my mom's sister, who is also active in addiction, but alcohol addiction, not pill addiction. Not that alcohol addiction is any better, but, you know, at least you're somewhat there for the most part. Anyway. Then I eventually went back to my mom. And um, she eventually kicked me out for the first time. So I went to go live with my boyfriend at the time. And I was almost 18. Oh, Actually, I think I had just turned 18 at that point. It was probably a little bit after my 18th birthday, if I remember correctly. Um. Anyway, I ended up unenrolling myself out of high school. I was not doing well. You know, as a teenager, I made a lot of mistakes, which was substance abuse. I stayed numb because it was the only way I think as an now as an adult that I made it through, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm not using that as an excuse to allow this substance abuse. It was wrong, and I really wish that I had not done everything that I did. Um, I drank almost every weekend um you know smoking weed is whatever I don't I still smoke weed as an adult so I don't think weed is bad obviously and I still occasionally have a drink but I I don't drink like I I did I mean I would chug vodka out of bottles I would get to the point of blacking out and not remember what I did because that's how I coped you know I self-harmed I (sighs) <sighs> wouldn't eat. You know, I had a, a parent in a home that made me feel bad for the way I looked and existing. And if any of you have ever gone through any of that, I am so sorry. Because I, I know what it's like. And I still deal with this as an adult. It, it is something that has been my biggest struggle, which is my self-esteem and my self-worth. And that is because I had a parent comment on my weight constantly. Tell me that people wouldn't date me and that I'd be alone because of the way I looked or how I dressed. And, you know, in the moment when those things would be said, I would just kind of blow it off. But I didn't realize the impact it would have on me as I got older. Because the more I looked at myself after those comments, the more I hated what I saw. Because again, it goes back to that, why am I not good enough? You know, why? Why am I the problem? What can I do to be better? You know, and having somebody who is supposed to care for you and nurture you and help you grow as a person, tell you that you look wrong, and you eat too much, or you're too loud, and whatever else it is, you know, they they stifle that fire that is burning inside of you to be small and weak, because they get to be in control. That is abuse on so many levels, and when I was in it, I didn't know that. You know, when I thought of abuse as a kid, I thought about parents hitting their children. And then, you know, I would be so anxiety-filled. I remember... I had to have been in, like, the third grade. I would be at my desk. And, you know, they were those little desks that are, like, the chair and the desk attached or whatever they are. And... I would be shaking. Like my desk would be rattling because I would just shake near the end of the day thinking about having to go home. The anxiety was so bad. And I would do anything for attention as a kid because I couldn't get it. You know, even if it was negative attention, I didn't care. I remember, again, because we were so poor, when I was in The fourth grade, you know, we had the Scholastic book fairs and again, poor. So we didn't get to participate in those. I started stealing. I stole so much stuff from the Scholastic book fair and I thought I was so... Good at it, right? I thought I was like the best thief ever. I was so sneaky, never to get caught. These motherfuckers had me on camera, plain as day, you know. And I remember getting called into the office, and you know them asking me about it and like the stuff. And I remember I gave them the line: "It's not mine. I'm holding it for somebody." And I mean, obviously that's when they whipped out the fucking video and showed me and then my dad got called and I got my ass reamed. Regardless, I ended up getting put into a school counselor program for that, which I am thankful for. Um, I'm glad that they decided to send me to the guidance counselor, um, because she was amazing as well. I do remember her very well, um. But I still continued to lie. You know, I wanted people to think that my life was better than it was. So I embellished. Um, I would make up stories about our house or the fun stuff we got to do or things I had and owned because I wanted to portray myself as this person that I wished I was in this life that I wished that I had. Because what was real was painful and unappealing. I remember I loved riding the bus home from school because it took so long. I had so much time after school before I got home to just mentally prepare myself to walk through the door. And as I got older, it wasn't as bad because, you know, my father and I didn't talk much when I became more of a teenager unless he was there to criticize me about something. Um, I remember after my brother left, things became so different. My brother was the one who took a lot of the abuse in our home when we were kids. You know, and I hate that I contributed to that. I hate that I got him in trouble as much as I did just to do it because of everything that happened to him. And I will never forgive myself for it. Um, you know, watching him be dragged to his bedroom by his earlobe by a full grown man is hard to think about. Um, I was only ever physically hit once and I remember it so perfectly so as a kid I used to take empty cardboard boxes like shoe boxes whatever you want to call them whenever we'd get shoes and I would make houses for like my little Pokemon or my dolls, my Barbies whatever you want to call it I'd make houses out of them So, I had one big ass house that I had made. So proud of it. It looked so cool. I was so pleased. You know, I used little pictures from magazines to put pictures on the wall, bullshit, whatever you want to call it. I remember sitting in the living room playing with my house, and my dad had made breakfast and he made pancakes. And he gave me the pancakes, and I was sitting on the floor eating them, and then I was done. So in my mind, I thought, okay, let me get up. And since I'm already up, let me take my cardboard house to my room. So, you know, I was like nine and I had the house in one hand and the plate in the other and the plate fell face first onto the carpet. So just syrup side up on the carpet, all over it. I was so scared. The look on his face was somebody that I have never seen. He smacked me (laughs) so hard across the face. I had an adult man's handprint and he picked up my cardboard house and he threw it into my room and destroyed it. And I remember cleaning the syrup off the carpet, trying to hold back my tears, because if you cried, it would be worse. You weren't allowed to cry. You weren't allowed to show sadness because it meant you were weak. And I remember going to my room when I was done and crawling into my bed and under my covers so that he couldn't hear me. And I remember sobbing so hard. It felt like I was going to run out of air. And um, I remember he came in shortly after to apologize. And... I think he did that mostly because he knew how bad it was you know I am a very pale person (laughs) like I don't know if any of you have ever seen me but I am white and um it was welt on my face a full handprint and it didn't go away for a few days so he kept me out of school so he wouldn't get in trouble but he never hit me again after that um There were times when I thought he was going to, but he never did. You know, it was mostly the yelling and the comments about my weight, um, about my appearance, calling me, my mother, saying I was just like her, you know, little chabs that didn't seem like much in the moment. But over time, grew to be this festering hole of poor self-esteem and self-depreciation. And I'm not going to say that my mother didn't experience abuse in their marriage. Because I know she did. I saw it. I saw the way they fought. I saw him throw her into walls. I saw the abuse firsthand. Um, So I get part of why she left as well was because of that. But she left us in it. We became the punching bag for the abuse when she left. And I'm not saying she should have stayed and endured the abuse. I would never, ever say that to anybody. She should have called somebody. (laughs) She could have took us and gave us to somebody who would have been stable or got us help. You know, I remember a neighbor reported one time and CPS showed up at the school and I was in middle school. And I remember being so scared to tell them anything because I knew what would happen if I did. You know, and I wish I could say thank you to that neighbor for, for trying. (laughs) I do. um, Because that was the only person that ever tried as far as I know. You know, um, that was the only time I ever, I ever talked to CPS. Um, So shout out to you. Whoever you are, I do appreciate you for that, even though obviously my brother and I lied because if we didn't, it would have been worse. Um, I remember I spent a lot of time wondering... What my life would be like if I had different parents, if I had born, been born to a different family, you know, who would I be? What would I have achieved by now as a person? That thought sticks with me a lot, and I'm trying to stop, because I should be thankful for what I have. I have survived. I am here, and I am fighting. And I'm taking my life back. I'm trying to become a parent that I wish I had. I'm learning how to undo the last 30 years of trauma. And I hope that you guys will continue to join me as I do. And I hope that this episode has maybe given you guys something whether it be insight or understanding or relief to know that you're not alone you know and i know there are people out there who have had far worse childhoods than i have you know i was thankful enough to always have a roof over my head we may not have always had electricity or running water but we always got to live inside and even though there wasn't much of it, there was some some food, you know. And my dad made sure we got to school. Whether we stayed during the day, that was on us. But he made sure we got there. And I won't ever make an excuse. And I'm not saying this is an excuse. But I understand how hard it is to be a parent to two children. Now the difference is I feel that maybe, maybe he didn't want kids to begin with, you know, maybe neither of them wanted kids and then it happened. I know how overwhelming kids can be. Trust me, I get it. Now as an adult, I understand. But it's not that hard to love and nurture your children and to make them feel heard and important and show them compassion. I think that's going to be it for today. If it's it for me, at least, that's all I can handle at the moment without bursting into tears. Um, I just want to say thank you guys so much. And I hope that you can continue with me on this journey, whether it's to learn something or just to listen or to feel heard and understood I am excited to continue this and to continue to speak about what it's like and tell stories of things that I've experienced regardless of how bad they are Because I think that they need to be said. I think that there needs to be more light shown on these things. And I'm hoping that if some of you know me, having it come from something like this and from me and more personal and close to home for some of you, that it really shows how well some people can hide it. You know, I I want that to be something that you all take from this is that it's happening everywhere whether we see it or not and it's not always physical a lot of it is verbal and emotional and mental and how that affects everybody and the people that we love you know and I want you guys to understand that it's not always easy to ask for help or to know how Anyway, this has been Thanks, Mom. My name is Amanda. I love you all so much. And I appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you next time.